Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most urgent topics in the never-dull world of Indiana basketball. This is our 125th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 517th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, June 6th, 2019. I'm your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. Oh, Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's banner moment occurred on Saturday, June 1st, when Indiana's Director of Athletic Performance, Cliff Marshall, tweeted out a trio of pictures from his first official workout with incoming freshmen Armand Franklin and Trace Jackson Davis. The tweet read, quote, The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. First workout with Armand Franklin and Trace Jackson Davis. Thankful for the opportunity to train both of these student athletes. Excited to watch them grow in body, mind, and spirit, unquote. It's great to see Armand and Trace getting a head start on their physical development for the upcoming season, because as we've talked about at length in recent episodes, each is going to have to play a key role this season for Indiana to end its three-year NCAA tournament drought. Trace is penciled in to many projected IU starting lineups, despite the fierce competition he'll likely receive from Deron Davis, Joey Brunk, Race Thompson, and Justin Smith. Whether he ends up starting or not isn't particularly relevant. What will be of vital importance is his ability to hold his own physically in the rough-and-tumble Big Ten so that he is able to capitalize on his athleticism, passing ability, and scoring touch with his left hand. There will be growing pains for Trace. There always are for young big men, even five-star big men. But he has to be a major factor for Indiana to have the kind of depth it will need to compensate for a lack of top-end talent. As for Armand, while no one is penciling him into any starting lineups yet, all you have to do is take one look at the roster to know how important he'll be for Indiana's backcourt depth. With only Devontae Allen Robb returning as ball handlers and a decent chance that all three are in the starting lineup, there is a real possibility that Armand could be Indiana's only ball handler off the bench. That's a clear path to minutes, even for a freshman. And Armand will need to make shots, be strong and smart with the ball, and match up physically on the perimeter in a defense focused on applying ball pressure. Will Trace and Armand be up to the challenge? Time will tell. But it's a great sign that on June 1st, they are already putting in the work in the weight room to prepare themselves for what will be asked of them come November and beyond. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left, he is the Nick Nurse of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati, the President Emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and one of the world's most renowned bracketologists. He is also hoping, praying even, that someone this season will be able to fulfill this long, unrequited IU basketball wish. I just want one guy who, when he takes a three-pointer, I actually believe it's going to go in. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your Bottoms line on this week in IU basketball? Well, that's prophetic for one of the topics that we're going to talk about later. So, <laughs> yeah. so I guess we'll see. Uh, you know, for me, this is a big time with you know recruiting. This week has been a lot of the Indiana you know junior and senior all-star uh, festivities and the and the game against Kentucky will take place over the weekend. So it's, it's always good to see some IU uh, commits and or recruits prominently featured in those. And so uh, in the uh, in the game on Wednesday against the uh, between the the All Star team and the junior All Stars, you know Trace and uh, and Armand were the top two scorers. I think Armand was was tied for second with somebody, but uh, but good to see that 
you know, those guys are, are playing well. They talked a lot in the, uh, in the, the posts on inside the hall about the chemistry that they have together. And I think that's something that's pretty easy for IU fans to get excited about when you look at those guys. And, and then when you look back at the, uh, you know, the junior, junior all-stars, they talked about, you know, losing to, uh, you know, to Kentucky in that first game, bounce back with a big one in the second one. And, you know, one of the quotes from, from Anthony Leal was, you know, talking about they out toughed us, wanted it a little bit more. It's going to be a lot different tomorrow. And, and as a team, at least they came out and, uh, and played a lot better. So as we talked about a lot, it's a, certainly a point of emphasis for Archie to have Indiana guys prominently featured on the roster and, uh, some good things seem to have come out from a recruiting standpoint and, uh, and also just from an on-court performance and, and at this point in June. So I guess that's, uh, that's all we can live for at this point. And, and go forward from there, but uh, exciting to see and gives everybody at least a little bit of taste of what it would be like to have Trace and Armand playing together. And to my right, no, it is not Ryan Phillips or Coach. They both have the week off. Ryan is somewhere cursing the Padres' bullpen while Coach is preparing to see his son get married. So congratulations, of course, to Coach and the entire Tonsoni family. Instead, in their place, we are pleased to welcome a couple of first-time guests to the assembly call Do you guys all remember when Ryan said this? Indiana fans have a reputation nationally of being ridiculous. Well, our two guests this week will proudly tell you, yeah, he was kind of talking about them. But here's the thing about these two hysterical IU fans. They decided to channel their passion for IU basketball into something useful, an IU basketball podcast. And look, you and I both know the world did not need another IU basketball podcast, but it has become clear since they launched theirs, that the world did, in fact, need this IU Basketball podcast because it delivers something we haven't had in this space, authentic, revealing, and insightful long-form interviews with some of the best players to ever wear the cream and crimson. And we are very pleased to welcome them here to our show. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. It is Ward and Eric from Hoosier Hysterics, and that is their theme music. Guys, welcome to the show. What is making you hysterical about IU basketball right now? Well, I'll start by saying what makes me hysterical is that that song that I hate that Ward wrote is actually getting play on assembly call. I was so excited to say that we had arrived because we made it on assembly call and I couldn't be happier. And now I got to sit through that song again. Oh boy. Just, just a short snippet. And weeks of me talking about it as we move forward and keep reminding him of, hey, is good enough for Jared. <laughs> Ooh, boy, you just gave Ward. I mean, Ward, you got to open the door so your head can fit in the room after that song. It's, being it was played a, it's here. a physically large head to begin with. But, you know, it was funny, Eric. That was kind of like the first real creative difference we had on the show was me sending him those songs, which like I just recorded here on this mic. And he was like, no, 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 we should do a parody song. So then on an early episode before we were interviewing people, I was like, well, you know what? Let's take it to the people. Let's take it to the seven people who are listening and see what they think. And I think the jury has come back. Yeah. And the good news for Ward is that his six (laughs) family members said it was great. (laughs) So there we go. It was your dad. Your dad was the first one who loved it the most. You're right. But I will say to take it back to the question of what's really making me hysterical about the Indiana Hoosiers these days. It actually has to do with my dad, who I talked to earlier in the day, who had just listened to our interview with Trace Jackson Davis and Joey Brunk and and said to me that he now has a lot of confidence that Archie is bringing in good people to our program. Yeah. And I think that uh, while, of course, the ball's got to go in the basket and we've got to prevent the other team from putting the ball in the basket, 
it is good to know that we've got people coming into the program with the people that Archie recruited last year and this year and the ones that he's in on in the upcoming seasons uh, that we can really get behind, really be proud of. And I do think character matters a lot for a basketball team. It leads to chemistry, which does lead to on-court performance. And I think Archie's got himself uh, a good, good start on that. So I am hysterical about that. Well said. I agree. Ward, what about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I know we're going to get to some subjects later, so I'll just kind of chime in on that one. When I was hearing even uh, Andy talking about the chemistry of these young guys working together in the All-Star game, whatever AAU experience they've had up to this point, I love the idea of this roster, not just this coming season, but for seasons to come and hopefully for, for all of Archie's tenure, you know, being mostly comprised of Indiana guys, because I don't think any of us would disagree that if if Archie gets most of the best the state has to offer, that's going to be Final Four caliber talent uh, in years to come. And all you have to do is uh, look back to my favorite team of all time, Calvert Cheney's senior season, uh, and all those in-state guys. All those in-state oh, guys. And, and so how could you be more proud of a team that's born and bred right there on the borders with the few people from elsewhere just to show we're not snobs? Uh, <laughs> and, and so I, I, it's, I, obviously it's all going to take longer than we want, but it is. And having got a chance to talk to these incoming guys, more good dudes on the way, talking to a couple of the guys leaving, good dudes on the way out. We do have to thank Coach Crean for that, but I think they probably stuck around because of Archie. Ward, you're a great fit here, like in the 93 team. I don't know if any team has been romanticized more on this show than the 93 Hoosiers. That's, my, that's, my, that's it, brother, right mm-hmm. there. It is. All right, so here's what we're going to talk about this week. The ACC Big Ten Challenge matchups are in. We will discuss Indiana's opponent. Uh, then we'll discuss the rule changes that are coming to college basketball next season, most notably the longer three-point line and how we think that will affect Indiana. And then we will answer your questions, as we always do. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. First, we've got to do a quick word from this week's sponsor, which is SeatGeek. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's as if they're so big, they feel like they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. But not SeatGeek. SeatGeek cares desperately about the satisfaction of their customers, which is why a quick glance at the App Store shows over 50,000 five-star reviews. Why? Because SeatGeek delivers a better process for buying tickets. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web, and then they rate each deal on a scale of 1 to 10. And the user interface communicates it all clearly by displaying tickets on an interactive seat map so you can see right where they are and by using a color-coded system for value. Green dots mean good deals, red dots are overpriced. Oh, and every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets that I've found. When my wife and I want concert tickets, it's always the first place that we look. And best of all... Get a brother, get some coupons. SeatGeek will even give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. So download the SeatGeek app today and use the promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. Okay. Can we get some basketball, please? Let's talk some basketball. All right, gentlemen. Uh, So I'm sure you all saw earlier today the ACC Big Ten Challenge matchups are out. Indiana is not playing Duke. Indiana is not playing North Carolina. The Hoosiers are facing off against Florida State. Andy, your initial reaction there, and can you kind of give us some quick insight in what Florida State is looking like next year? Because I think we all know they've been pretty good the last three years. 
Yeah, I definitely want to leave time to talk about the uh, Northwestern Boston College and Rutgers pit game. So I'll try to. Oh, be please. Brief. Yes. Um, but uh, you know, Florida State be a little bit transitional for them. I, I had to go look because I had in my head that they had lost quite a bit from uh, from a season ago. And that definitely is true. They really only have two key contributors coming back in Trent Forrest and MJ Walker. Uh, I went to Bart Torvik's site to just kind of see how he had their rotation splitting up. They got a grad transfer from Ole Miss. A uh, big guy that they've had tons of size lately. That actually drops off a little bit. Uh, it looks like going into next year, they have another uh, transfer from Rice that sat out a year. Um, so I think given the timing of that and the turnover in personnel that they've had, it's probably a good time uh, to play them. Uh, certainly Leonard Hamilton teams have been, uh, while not great at uh, late game fouling and execution, have been good defensively. So I think that's what you would look for there is that a little bit different than uh, you know if you liken it to the you know Marquette game uh, of a year ago where you're you know playing a, a, a you know a challenge type game at home uh, they're the opposite where they, they tend to be really strong defensively and have been for a while uh, under Hamilton so that's really the biggest thing uh, from my standpoint their offenses have gotten better but they were tenth in adjusted efficiency uh, a year ago but they lose a lot of their key shot blockers and things like that so not a uh, not a an an unfavorable matchup for IU, I would say at that point. Um, not a clear you know mismatch based on who they have left, and not really a veteran group that's played together quite a bit. So uh, I think that helps a little bit. I, I think it's not a sexy matchup from a attendance type of standpoint, um, just because it's not really a a name that's going to you know draw a, a ton more fans or a lot more excitement than it might normally. So that part of it maybe is a little bit. Uh, not a ton of shine on it, but from a, a winnable basketball game type standpoint, I would, I would say it's not a uh, not a terrible draw in, in that regard. Yeah, I, just to jump in on that and to piggyback on what Andy was saying at the end, and not to be Mister Pessimism here, <laughs> it's what you do. <laughs> yeah, I, and I do it well. If there's one thing I can do well, it's the pessimism angle. When I read the announcement this morning, I just got sad because there is one thing that ESPN cares about that is ratings. They don't care about if a rivalry creates ratings, they'll go with that. They don't care about anything except for what is relevant and what will get them a good promotional hook and ratings. And the fact that Indiana University basketball isn't good enough right now to generate any kind of real interest ahead of Ohio State, Purdue, Michigan and Michigan State, because the truth is there's four marquee teams in the ACC with North Carolina, Duke, Louisville and uh, who am I forgetting? Virginia. Virginia. And we don't get to play any of those four. We play Florida State. I know they've been good. It just shows where we are as a program right now. We, we've we got work to do. And no longer is the name of Indiana good enough to get us that marquee game. We got to win basketball games to get those marquee games. And it just was kind of a reality check on uh, where we are. Now I'll let Mr. That, Optimism yeah, Word come- jump in. <laughs> yeah, but before everybody just starts crying, slitting their wrists after hearing Eric. This is it, right? Okay, so Eric knows, and a couple of our guests now know, that I love to go back to the North Carolina State game in the ACC Big Ten Challenge before we beat Kentucky on the watch shot. That was the sign that we were back. So you can even say at that point we'd had two, three down years at that point. And uh, the NC State game – we won. We got some confidence. We got our mojo going. Now, I don't think... And we didn't just any- win. We came back at the end, which was incredible. On the road. On the road. Yeah. Against an NC State team that was also feeling like they were now on the ascent. So uh, I don't think anybody feels like, 
losing to Duke last year did anything for our mojo or confidence. Uh, and, and that where we're at as a program, realistically speaking, we need, we need the wins just to get into the tournament in March. And then the whole stretch between the ACC and big 10 challenge, uh, we just need to feel like we can win games against other good. You know, this is like a top 25 program getting into the tournament as of late. Yes, it is. Yeah, but it won't be this year, but it has they'll, they'll still be decent. I think they'll still be, still be okay. Yeah. I, I think the, the the challenge becomes, and I don't, and I don't know. I, I saw something where they said some of the teams ended up like usually it's you alternate home and road. It seemed like they flip flopped a few of those, but if you really look down the list of ACC teams that are playing on the road this year, there aren't a ton of great ones outside of Duke and Virginia. The other ACC ro- road teams are Wake Forest, who's terrible, Notre Dame, who IU plays somewhat regularly anyway. Um, Florida State, who I use playing, Miami, who I don't know what you can expect of them, and Clemson. So in that regard, if those were going to be the road teams and you weren't going to draw Duke, it's about as good as you could – or Duke or Virginia, I guess it's about as good as you could do. But um, there, there's probably a little bit of truth to that, but I agree. But Ward is really ingratiating himself between his love of the early 90s team and uh, and hearkening back to the importance of the NC State game. You're like playing all the right cards at this point. So. Yes, he is. Also, yeah. go, ahead. No, go ahead, Eric. I was just going to say uh, on the NC State game, not only is was Ward the one hearkening back to it, but we've talked to now Christian Watford, Cody Zeller, and Jordan Hulls and Verdell, and all of them point to that game. Like yeah. even even on the same level in some ways as the Kentucky game, which came two games later, they all felt like that was the game that was the tipping point, which is great. I, I want to just one more uh, note of pessimism uh, because I have to. What it also does is it this announcement kind of solidifies what the non-conference schedule is as far as marquee games. And those games are Arkansas, uh, Florida State, Notre Dame, and UConn. And chances are none of them will be ranked in the top 25. It's not – we don't have that big marquee game. I think Ward's right about the Duke game last year did nothing for anybody's confidence. That said, it's still fun in the week leading up to a game like that. So I don't think we have that big marquee non-conference game. The upside is we've got more chance to rack up some wins and get to the tournament this year. Yeah, I think it's perfectly fair to have a very nuanced view on this where, you know what, it's kind of nice to have a lot of games against teams that are about where we are, that feel winnable, that are still quality wins. But it's also kind of disappointing to not be up in those marquee matchups. And that's where we've got to get to. And frankly, we just need to win like we know that we can win and like we expect to win over the next few seasons. And I think we all agree uh, that we'll end up getting back to that point. All right. Coming up on the assembly call, there are going to be important rule changes taking effect in college basketball next season. Most notably, the three point line is moving back. How will that affect Indiana and Archie Miller over the long run? And given next season's roster, we will discuss. Stick with us. What's going on? It's Christian Wofford. What's the only thing better than an epic buzzer beater? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join my guys, Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the Assembly Call after every IU game. Go Hoosiers. Thank you, Christian. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. 
And if you ever want to participate in our unedited live broadcasts or watch those replays, then check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall. I'm Jared Morse. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and our special guest host, Eric and Ward from the Hoosier Hysterics podcast. And guys, I want to talk about the rule changes that are going to be in effect starting next season. Andy, we talked about this on a previous episode of the Assembly Call, uh, and they are they were all accepted. So let's run them down real quick, and then we'll uh, dissect the most notable of them. But the three-point line is going to be moved back to the international distance from where it was before, 20 feet 9 inches, to 22 feet 1.75 inches. The shot clock will be resetting to 20 seconds after an offensive rebound. On our previous you know, episode, I think you know, all of us were in agreement that those were good moves. Two other ones that are also happening, players will be assessed a technical foul should they use derogatory language about an opponent's race, ethnicity, national origin, religion, gender, gender expression, gender identity, sexual orientation, or disability. Andy, as you mentioned in the break, wasn't that a technical foul before? Maybe not. I don't know. But now they're being very specific about it. So I would argue common decency and common sense would have (laughs) taken care of that ahead of time. But apparently, (laughs) well, now it's in the rule book. Uh, And then also coaches will be allowed to call live ball timeouts in the last two minutes of the second half and the last two minutes of any overtime periods. Previously, they weren't allowed to call any live ball timeouts during the game. Maybe we do spend just a minute on this one because I actually don't like this rule. I actually I, I don't want coaches to have that much control over the action. I'd rather coaches be more incentivized to teach their players what to do in the final minutes than actually be able to take the timeouts. So I, do any of you guys disagree at that rule? I actually don't like, I don't think that's good for the game. Good for coaches, obviously who are control freaks, but Bobby Knight would agree with you on that one for sure. You know, he was just famous for like, you guys figure it out and we'll be a better team. Even if you fail, because when it's crucial come tournament time, then you'll know what to do. So yeah, I think it's a little weak. Yeah. To me, it's just another person that the officials have to try to watch or potentially ignore when they're calling a timeout, which typically even today on the floor, a guy is standing right next to somebody on the floor who has the ball screaming for a timeout at the referee who just kind of acts like he doesn't notice what's going on. So, you know, now you're making them pay attention to both coaches who can also call him. So, yeah, I don't know that it 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 seems like a weird because I think that used to be in play where coaches could call those live ball timeouts at various times and they went away from it. It seems like an odd one to go back to because it uh, for all the reasons you said yeah it, just to ju- i i think there's only one potential benefit for indiana because let's just bring it all back to indiana and that is with the move of the three-point line backwards i'm hoping that archie can call a timeout before anyone on our team shoots from that distance <laughs> maybe that's how we get away with dealing with the, the expanded uh three-point line so well, yeah i'm I, all for it well and i've got to say like i've been spoiled in the age of the dvr and watching these games out here in LA often I'm picking up kids at tip off. So I'm not starting uh, right on time anyway. So I'm, I'm zipping along. And when we went back for the Louisville game, I mean, the amount of, of timeouts we had to sit through was so tedious. Mm -hmm. And to think when there could actually be something really climactic and exciting going on in those last couple minutes and, and you never get more than 10 or 15 seconds of gameplay before another whistle is blown. I don't think that's going to help the enjoyment uh, at the end of a close game. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the three point line, because that's the one that really kind of caught everybody's attention. We got a question from Jonathan about this. He says, what do you think will be the immediate impact of the three point line being moved back to the international line across all of college basketball? Will we see a decrease in three point attempts an increase in points per game, a blast from the past with more mid range shooting? 
I will say that, you know, typically in both the NBA and college basketball, when the three-point line has been moved, attempts fall and efficiency falls in the beginning. And then eventually players adjust, teams adjust, and it starts to go back up. But I, I feel pretty safe in saying that attempts will go down and efficiency will go down. The question is, Andy, you know, how will that affect college basketball overall? And specific with Indiana, a program where the three-point line has been such an issue for two straight years. And I think we all agree it'll be better next year. But how do you think this is going to impact the Hoosiers? I mean, from an overall standpoint, I, I would tend to agree that it'll go down a little bit, but I always view these things in the sense of in a given game where guys are taking shots so many times is so far behind the line that it doesn't, you, you, it makes you question whether it'll really matter. It's still going to wind up, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, all the the math that goes into that to me will be relatively the same. And for guys who have really come up shooting a lot of threes and shooting from that far behind the line, I don't know that it has a terribly large impact from an IU perspective. I mean, the onus is still on guys to actually make shots. I mean, it in theory should help with spacing as guys are positioned behind the three point line. But if you don't have guys that can make those shots and the defense doesn't have to respect it, the spacing goes away no matter where you put the line. Um, so I, I don't know that it will change what IU wants to do philosophically and where they're going to take shots. I, I just think it reinforces the importance of being able to find a way to have guys make shots. I don't think that Archie will change dramatically what he's doing. He wants to have guys kind of get downhill a little bit anyway. IU already has a, a post player like Duran who they've shown uh, the desire to get the ball inside to. And I don't think that gets any any different. I think those things can be more effective if there are guys that that someone like Duran can kick the ball out to and you feel like they're going to make the shot. But that is the part that is the biggest unknown, more so than the impact of the actual movement of the line. Yeah. I, I do wonder how uh, on two levels. One is I think it's great for basketball as a whole to move the line back because I do think it'll help spacing in most conferences. The Big Ten just has to address how they allow basketball to be played because I don't really care how far they push three-point line back. What they allow in the lane and coming through the lane is tackle football. And until they address that, I don't know if the Big Ten style of play is going to change that much. But what I am curious about the three-point line in all earnestness is how will it affect the pack line defense? Mm. Because the three-point shot does present problems for the pack line. It's presented problems for us and Archie's pack line, and, and I'm sure it will get better as it goes. But the further you push that out, the harder it is to do both things for the pack line especially. And I wonder if it will expose the pack line defense even more than it can already be exposed by giving up open three-point shots. I'm really curious to see how that affects us on defense because the truth is on offense, until we get guys who can fill it up, from 21, 22, 23, or four feet, it's not going to make a big difference. Well, and here, my instinct is that it's favorable to us right out of the gate because as far as we can tell, we don't have those guys yet. We don't have the shooters yet. Hopefully it's going to be better this year than we thought, and these guys will continue to develop and we'll get more guys in. But in, let's say, the next couple of years, if the pack line, the third priority is to recover out to the three three-point line first you got to stop the ball right and then you got to pack it in and prevent anybody from getting into the paint and if the third priority of the pack line is to get out and contest that three-point shot and while Archie's getting longer guys you know who have the reach maybe have the athleticism just the desire to jump out there uh, and contest those shots 
well, if there's a couple of years here while he's getting the rest of his team in and disciplined to what he wants, if it means the rest of the league's going to be taking less three-point shots or less efficient ones when they do, I think this could kind of help us catch up, with one, for our pack line to get better, and two, for our roster uh, to hopefully be able to compete on the offensive end in a season or two when everybody's catching up to the longer distance. Yeah, I you know, I <clears throat> I tend to agree. I think offensively we're going to be much better from the three-point line next year because remember the biggest reason why our percentage was dragged down last year was because Juwan and Romeo took so many threes and they were sub 30% three-point shooters with Devonte, Al and Rob taking the majority of them, hopefully Jerome Hunter being in the mix, and then Demise Anderson, who everybody is predicting is a breakout, and at least should be an average three-point shooter. With those five guys taking the majority of the threes, I don't think it's unreasonable to think even with a further line or a line that's further back, Indiana can be a top 100 three-point shooting team. And I know that number sounds crazy, and we've been in the 300s. The cutoff last year was 35.7% to be top 100. And, you know, you kind of project out three-point percentages for those guys. I think that's doable. Ward, I think you bring up a good point, though, about the defense. And it'll be interesting because, yes, if the line's further back, so the closeouts are longer, theoretically, you would give up a few more open threes with the pack line. Does the distance make them more difficult to hit so the efficiency goes down a little bit? I don't know. But I think that's going to be an interesting subplot to watch. And I think it's more matchup dependent than anything because when I don't I need I feel bad I don't remember who did this study um, I think it was one of the three-man weave guys Andy but they were kind of analyzing the impact of the longer three-point line you know and said the teams that are really going to benefit from this are the teams like Villanova Mich well not Michigan anymore because Beeline's not there but teams that were already taking long threes they're going to be set up to you know to really benefit from this and so I think that's the thing is you know, matchup wise, does this make Archie adjust at all defensively what he's doing? Because, you know, certain matchups now you're going to have to, you know, close out a little bit further. I don't know, but I think that's going to be an interesting subplot to watch because while I don't, you know, I think pack line teams, when they play it well, have done fine against the three point line. We have seen some vulnerabilities in certain matchups that you would like to see. Okay, if the team is really just hitting, what adjustment can we make to kind of shut this down? And that's kind of the big question. And the truth is, we don't know if those shortcomings that we've seen in the pack line against those matchups you're talking about are because of inherent deficiencies in the pack line or because Archie is still instilling his system with guys that are not really equipped to play in his system and we've talked to many guys we talked to who did we talk to most recently Jawan, who told us there is just so much that goes into learning how Archie wants you to close out on a three how he wants you to play a screen and roll that we just don't know yet if when we've seen holes in the pack line if it's due to personnel and learning or due to inherent deficiencies in the pack line. I think if you look at Virginia, you would see the pack line played pretty well and you see there's really no inherent deficiencies. He may just be a freak, Tony Bennett, who knows how to do it better than anyone in the world ever. But I think I think uh it's his dad be invented it, so <laughs> he be good at it. he's got he's got a built in advantage. I right. you know I think it's probably a little bit of all that, you know, I mean certainly we're not seeing the pack line run as well as it can be with kind of the athletes that you need to run it. And we're transitioning, as we know, from a no defense you know, type of system to one focused on defense. You know, I think now some of those excuses start to fade away in year three. I think now it's time to actually see the results. 
Um, but you know, it's, it, it's going to be really interesting. Um, you know, how, how it, how it all plays out, Andy, but I do think, I do think from an offensive perspective, I think it'll help Indiana because I think we have some guys that are going to be able to make those shots. And I think a little bit, if they prove they can do that and pull the defense out a little bit, it's going to give our post guys a little bit of extra room. And that is really one of, you know, maybe our biggest strength on offense is being able to dump it down to Duran, to Joey Bronk, to, you know, to Trace Jackson Davis. If those guys have a little extra room, you know, and, you know, you, you maybe open up the lane just a little bit for Rob to get in there and penetrate, I think that could help get the offense to be a little bit more free flowing than it was last year when we just couldn't make threes and everything just seemed to get bogged down. Well, and you you've discussed it a couple times here on on your program, and and Eric just observed it during games last year. We had a pretty good amount of open looks, oh, you know, God. and and so back to your point of if a lot of those looks are be, being taken by two mediocre outside shooters who are really great in other ways, but then then we have a chance like well maybe whether it's the three point shots or more of a mid range jumper that this opens up, Archie's offense may be underrated as far as the kind of looks it gets just because the shots haven't gone down yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would like to think that the offense becomes without being so reliant on a couple guys, maybe it becomes a little bit more free flowing and you can take advantage of some of those things, maybe more than, than you've been able to in the way that they ended up playing so much last year where, you know, ball screens are such a big part of college basketball. You're probably not going to get away from that entirely, but that was such a huge part of what was being done. And I think if you're able to get away from that a little bit, I do agree that you can. It does open up a lot of things, even for a guy like Trace, who it will be able to face up and maybe take somebody. It gives him an extra couple feet of space between the three point line and the basket. It, it, but again, if they can't find a way to find somebody who can make shots, then it, it almost doesn't matter because you're. We saw so many times last year where they're just getting dared to shoot the ball, so now you're just being dared to shoot the ball from two feet, three feet further. So if you don't find that, but I do think they might be able to generate some some cleaner looks and, and some things like that. They've just got to find whether that's, you know, Demizi making that improvement, whether that's Armand coming in, whether it's Devontae and Rob, doesn't really matter. But you've got to at least get a couple uh, a couple threats out there and give yourself a, a chance to do that. And I think defensively, for the most part, outside of Devontae and Rob, you've got some guys with pretty good length to be able to close out and challenge shots. So that doesn't worry me as much um i think it's the offensive side of it to me that, that things need to be proven on and if they can figure out a way to get a couple of reliable guys out there then it becomes uh it, it becomes a, a little bit more palatable than maybe it feels to some people right now Devonte retweeted the rule change with a smiley face do you take that as a good sign or a scary sign um, as as we discussed before i don't think the notion of the, the the idea of the three-point line is just that to Devonte. it's merely an idea of where the line is so i don't think that's a Hey, if, if Ohio State Devontae shows up, put it back at the half court line. It doesn't matter. He's ready yeah. to make them. Yeah, I don't well, think you, I don't think he feels he feels confined by the line at all. So that's not really a big deal. And look, and when he sees Big Brother filling it up on the biggest basketball stage in the world, I don't think that does anything to make him shoot less. You know, that is a good point. And I was actually thinking about that. I was thinking we got to get Devontae to the NCAA tournament. Because I really, like you saw what he did at the Big Ten tournament, I feel like he would thrive on a stage like that. You know, I mean, you need a guy that kind of has that mentality, and clearly his brother has that, where he can be in a slump, but then you know, you get him in the NBA Finals and he busts out of it. It's a shame we haven't gotten a chance to see Devontae in an NCAA tournament yet, so I'm hoping this year we can break that. Because I, I have a feeling he could, you know, again, we saw it against Ohio State, I think he could do well in that environment. 
anything else on this topic? I'd, I'd love to, we can cut it short. And we can save a little bit of extra time for the last segment to get to some questions. But do you guys have anything else? Do you want to talk about the three-point line? No? Okay. Uh, I'm, you, I'm good. Want to, want to talk about derogatory technicals? <laughs> oh boy well, at least at least at least it's all spelled out in specifics now when they issue the technical are they going to say which one of those was violated so that we yeah, know then they put they put the word on the scoreboard <laughs> by the way in there though you can still call someone ugly you can still say they're ugly so that's good that's true i was called ugly when i played that's basketball it. in high school that was a fun insult <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, coming up in our third segment, we are going to answer a very sobering audience question about Indiana's recent results. And then Andy and I have some questions for Ward and Eric about their show and the many insights about IU basketball they've gotten from their interviews. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. This is Tim Priller, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. Thank you, Tim. Welcome back to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ward and Eric from Hoosier Hysterics, our special guest hosts for the week. Remember that you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, even during the offseason, and then after every game, we send out a detailed postgame analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. All right, it is time for our mailbag. Uh, all these questions submitted uh, via Twitter or in our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com slash community. So we got one from our buddy Tagu, uh, and he says, generally speaking, every year national media project Indiana's ranking a lot lower than local media. That has certainly been the case the last couple of years. So we always talk about them not knowing everything like us and not following as much as we do. But unfortunately, I feel like they've been more right than us the last couple of years. Should we start recalibrating our expectations and set the realistic goal versus our hopeful goal? Uh, Andy, you want to take the first stab at this? Well, as I mentioned before, I felt this was a direct shot at you and, and not sure whether it was Ryan sending it in under an assumed name or this is a legitimate question. But I, I think it's hard because I think after the, the last handful of years, I think IU fans want to be optimistic. And you, as we've talked about, you allow yourself to be hopeful and talk yourself into the idealized version of every single guy and the vision of what that can be when they come together. I think that's partly just people starving for the success that everybody wants to have. And so you allow yourself over a lengthy off season to talk yourself into it and, and do some of those kinds of things. So I do think it's a fair criticism, um, but I think it's one born out of hope or wanting maybe even more so than, Hey, I know more than this guy because I follow it more closely. I think everybody just wants that to happen, which I think speaks to the overall temperature of the fan base as much as it does anything else. Yeah. I mean, Ward, Ward, I think you can relate with me on this. Like, I always talk myself into the idealized version of every team. And it's like, well, you know, when Josh Newkirk develops this and, you know, so like, it's like every year you go into it and you think of all the things that all the question marks being answered in the affirmative. And it's like, holy crap, we could be really good. What I think is going to happen for me this year is I'm finally going to like be realistic and say, okay, let's say 50% of the questions are answered or even less. And I'm, thinking, hoping almost that I'll be a little bit more pessimistic heading to this season. And then the results will, 
you know, kind of overcome that because I think I've just been beaten down by the last so couple of years. Pessimistic to like reverse jinx yourself, which is in in some way continuing yeah. to be optimistic. Also, really. really easy for me to say in June, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, when we come to, and we go through the schedule and you pick IU to win every game, then then we'll yeah. have a different conversation. Yeah, no. uh, you know, I think it's it's it is the duty of IU fans to think we are better than we are until we are that good. As soon as we start accepting that we are a mediocre program, which I think there's a lot of arguments made to be made we have been for the last 20 years, then then those th- that's the, the only thing keeping us elite right now is us and our expectations. And and that as long as we keep saying no, we we deserve to be a a top ten program season in and season out with a chance of going to the final four most years, even if it doesn't happen, at least we do have a chance. If we're just like, yeah, no, we'll be lucky to make it in the top twenty five and sneak into the tournament this year. As soon as we're all okay with that, the whole program's in real trouble for the long term. Hey Ward. If if we sneak into the NCAA tournament this year and are on the borderline of top twenty five, you will be ecstatic. I'll go streaking. Yeah. So <laughs> let's just let's just back it up a little. I know but what that, you mean, though. You don't want that to be the expectation every year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But look, look. I think it's easy this year to temper expectations, and I'll try to take that trip with you, Jared. Because, like, yes, Eric and I were talking about how this was the deepest this last season. <laughs> we said with the straight face to each other, we thought this was the deepest team since Calvert Cheney senior year. We meant it. It's so, so deep. Insane. If everybody had been healthy, <laughs> you know, it could have been pretty deep. Yeah, but it yeah, does seem no. ridiculous now. It but does also, the question <laughs> I have to say, I don't have any empirical evidence on this, but the idea that local guys overrank their team is probably an argument that could be made for every local guy out there. Yeah, I don't think it's. I don't think that's native to Indiana. I think that that is. You're covering your own team, so you know more about your own team. You see the potential. Like Andy said, you want to see potential. You don't want to see despair or what the hell are you doing. Yeah. And there's more so, there's more clicks if people feel good about what you're writing. This right? is true. This is true. Uh, okay, so I got a couple we, we have a couple questions for you guys uh, about your show and just some of the things that you've learned and you know we'll only be able to get a few you know to a few of them here on this segment but we'll do more so if you if this gets cut off and you don't get to hear some of the answers go check out YouTube because we'll be talking uh, after we finish recording. Um, here's the first question that I want to ask you guys. Besides the fact that Tom Crean didn't believe in scheduling practices, which is unbelievable still, what revelation that you've heard during an interview has shocked you the most? Wow. I'll, Ward, I'll start. I, I, just a couple of them. The first one was that we had a real chance to hire John Beeline. Yeah. Um, that that came up in our interview with Jeff Rabjohns and that there was a real chance to hire Jeff Beeline John's it was brother? shocking. Uh, what? And Jeff Beeline? Jeff Beeline? <laughs> like when, when we couldn't get John, oh. we had a shot at Jeff. Yeah, let's go for Jeff <laughs> Beeline. Uh, by the way, I would have preferred Jeff Beeline. <laughs> uh, I think that one. And I, I don't want to call this a revelation, but something that surprised me how important it is to so many of the players, former players that we've talked to, they really want a former IU player on that staff. Yeah. 
and how important that is to many players and not just ones that have a vested interest in it, like ones that are current assistant coaches somewhere else, but it's a fairly universal theme that we've heard. I can only speak to who we've talked to, but the idea that, you know, Duke has done this, Roy Williams has done this, and these top programs that, that have these long histories have done this that that is something that is really important to them. And, and I don't want to make that like a shot against Archie because almost universally the players we've talked to have, have raved some level of raving about Archie and really like what he's doing and really believe in him. But not having an IU guy on the actual staff, and Derek Elston's doing a great job, but he's not an assistant coach, that that item is really important to a lot of former players as a way to bridge the gap uh, between the history of Indiana and the current and the future. Yeah, it's a really good one. Ward, what about you? I'd say the most shocking revelation is that Archie Miller has a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> because you would not get it from uh, his press conferences or when he was introduced to the program. Uh, and there was some debate, and Eric felt yeah. like... It's but, not, but, this, is, this debate is not settled. I, I feel like, look, and this is, we've told it on the podcast too many times, but for your listeners, uh, we went to the game in Southport where Trace Jackson Davis was taking on Keon Brooks after the Louisville game. And Archie was there, Izzo was there, Calipari was there, and Calipari was making Archie laugh hysterically. And it was the first sign that he had a sense of humor coming or going right like okay well if he if he hears something funny he will react to it with laughter but now we heard from joey put it out there um juan confirmed it that he in fact has a, a sense of humor in the sense i get it's more like kind of a ball busting sense of humor like making fun of juan and being a six eight five you know like that's kind of where it comes from but the reason well, you know why it was shocking, because we've all seen his public persona. But why I think it's important is in recruiting. You, you see these guys like Self and Calipari, Izzo, they've got this charisma. And I can't help but think that's part of the game they have to play, especially when you don't have the resume yet, which Archie does not. So how are you going to get these guys to come to you instead of these guys who have this charisma and these incredible Hall of Fame resumes? You probably it helps if you make them laugh. That's how I would feel as an eighteen-year-old kid. Hmm. Good one. All right. So one of the things I wanted to know there's there was a couple of things, and we could probably fit this one in. So as you talk to guys that just left, like Juwan and Zach, and then you've talked to the incoming guys and in Trace Armand and uh, and, and Joey. This we took like a one-question break from the optimism, but what what do you take away from those? those conversations that maybe should should make people feel good or the thing that made maybe you walked away feeling the best about um, from talking to those guys as, as you look a year or two into the future. So quick, I'm going to do two quick ones. Uh, I will say the fire in the belly that these new guys have coming in is just, I don't think it can be overstated. I think that is something to be really excited about and how good they're just good people. And I think that's something to be excited about, but this might be in the shocking revelation too. The other thing that we have heard over and over again, I think Ward is probably thinking the same thing with me, is the optimism on Demisi. Yeah. I mean, we have heard it from Zach McRoberts. We've heard it from Juwan Morgan. We heard it from uh, Joey and Trace. There is a lot of optimism within the people in the program and from conversations I've had with other people connected to the program. 
like when there was all the talk about who's going to transfer and all that, Demise's name was not one of the names mentioned from the people that actually knew. The staff loves him. He loves being in Indiana. He went to Zach McRoberts and said, how do I be like you? How do I just bust my butt? And Zach kind of took him under his wing a little. Jawan talks about the intensity that he has. Um, that to me is something to be really excited about because I think where college sports separate themselves is when you have a four-year player that you can watch grow and evolve. There is nothing better than, I know he was a three-year player, but there was nothing better than watching Victor Oladipo's progression. That was so much fun as a fan to see that, to watch Christian Watford's progression, Jordan Hulls's progression, Jawan Morgan's progression from a freshman who could barely sniff the court. And I think that the idea that Demise may have it in him to be that guy, and I'm not expecting him to be a primary player this year, but improvement where he can make a difference and impact the game, and then what that means for the next two years, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Where I see the optimism coming, not just for the coming season, but for the future where Eric and I we discussed that we want to grow old with Archie. You know, he's around our age and we want this to be like, yes, let's all grow old in in the new era, glory era of IU basketball. And we all know what Coach Knight had to say about Archie when he was hired, that he can coach. So right there, that should quell us all for another season or two until he has his guys in place. But more recently, we had the great pleasure of doing an interview with Jeff Van Gundy, you know, and a guy who's really watching the absolute best basketball players and coaches in the world uh, night in and night out, having been one himself as well. And he says the same thing. This guy can coach. So to me, that's what's going to make the difference of us growing old together or not is, is yes, he needs to get his guys in. And then when his systems are in and everybody knows what to expect and the whole state, the coaches, the parents know they can send him in there and what exactly is going to happen on and off the court. I think we're going to be in good shape for a real long time. It's just so hard to fully believe it after the last 20 years and not having seen any results on the court yet. Yep. That's it. Right. We're done. No more questions. Great job, guys. We'll pick this up afterwards. That's going to do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk with you again next Thursday night. Until then. Take it from me, Jordan Halls. Keep your elbow in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. All right. Nice job, guys. Fun. Thanks for having us. That was good stuff. No, this was awesome. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Pleasure. Yeah. The the Demise thing was definitely what I as I listened to him was like I was like yeah I just I don't know but I think it's one of those where a guy just so such a transition in role and level of play and everything else where he just kind of was shell shocked and he you seems know, we, to have a good attitude based on what everybody said so that, well, yeah, and we talked that about it a, a couple times swing, swing guy skill whatever if he can really come out and be able to score and provide some offense off the bench. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that's interesting is it's not like you guys said, 
hey, what do you think of Demisi? No. It like it came up unprompted. Each and, time. Yeah, and, and you know, Andy, we talked several times this past season, you know, they they would do you know, they would post, you know, an interview with Demisi on Twitter or whatever, and every single time you hear him talk, he talks about what he needs to get better at. Like he just has such a humility about him in interviews. And the thing that you never really know when you hear the interviews is, okay, is this guy just kind of talking because he thinks this sounds good? Or is this actually what he believes? And what it sounds like is he's really shown himself over the first year to be a guy who, like, that stuff that he says and he wants to get better and understanding his weaknesses and all those things, it sounds like he really believes that and really is working hard to overcome them. And, I mean, if that's the case, he's got a lot of natural ability and he can shoot, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I mean... And, and, and especially everybody who's pulling their hair out when Aaron Henry's going to the Final Four and getting serious minutes. And that's, you know who everybody was like, oh, we got Demisi instead of him. Uh, it, it was really easy to get even more negative about that. But I think it's something where it's about being a gym rat, right? Like that's how Victor got to where he is. And did you guys all uh, read the article on Kawhi Leonard that got circulated around in the last few days about his time at San Diego State? Oh, man. Just like such like yeah. insane amount of work the guy put in. So that I, I think that's the only thing you can really get excited about is when you hear these other guys being like, yeah, he's just working his butt off because and otherwise I'm, I'm just going to say this one. And I know like there's all kinds of rules and it's not popular to talk about. Jerome Hunter's going to play. Uh, he's going to play. Whoa. I believe that. When did I believe. Okay. <laughs> I believe it. Jerome and this Hunter's is, this play. is Mr. Pessimism. Now, are yeah. you are this is your hope or mm-hmm. are you? No. I mean, yes, of course, it's my hope. Oh, okay. Well, I just want to make sure. But we've talked to several people that work out with him. The, the, the staff has to be conservative. They cannot say what they really feel. They have to be conservative because there's HIPAA laws and it's a guy's, it's a condition and all that. But there is no one we've talked to who has even hesitated in telling us that Jerome is going to play. And when he does... He's, it may not happen right away because he still has to adjust to this level. But that guy has the chance to be a stud. And I do think that Archie gave a tell at the Huber Farms thing. They asked him directly about Jerome and he did the standard. I can't, you know, it's we're months away. But then they asked Archie about three-point shooting. And Archie went down the list of why he thinks the team's going to be a better three-point shooter, shooting team. And he brought up Jerome very early and then caught himself and yeah. said, well, you know, if he, if he can play. I think everybody on that staff thinks he's going to play. I also think that's another reason why you're okay going with 11 scholarship players, which could be 10 if he doesn't play. Yeah. Now you're into a place where, my God, 10. You, if one guy is out, you don't have a good five-on-five scrimmage in practice. I think Jerome's going to play. That, that part is somewhat convincing, that part right there. Yeah, and it, I think I think a lot of the success of this season uh, will hinge on on – if Jerome's able to play and how much. Yeah. And he's another guy who seems like he is working his butt off and people behind the scenes. I mean, yeah. he Juwan told us he just went at Romeo defensively. He wanted to be, Romeo. To be the pessimist mm-hmm. on that, I just wonder, like, clearly he's in good shape, right? He's in good shape. I just wonder being out of competitive basketball for that long, how long does it take? You know, if if he can't even start being in scrimmages till yeah. August, September, uh, you know, it's not like boogie coming back in January and having like 10 plus years of being yeah. a stud under his belt. I- I'm hopeful for him to 
play this year and be part of the team going forward, but I can't get it into my mind to get excited about him contributing on the court this yeah, year. Yeah, I like I actually have heard a couple of pessimistic things, but you know, nothing definitive, obviously. But a lot of the circumstantial stuff kind of points to it, as you laid out, Eric. And I'm obviously optimistic. I, I guess I'm trying to kind of have a cautious optimism about it because I think he is so important to this team. But that's a great point where it's like, just because he, like now the legend of Jerome Hunter has gotten so big, it's like if he is cleared to play, everyone's going to be thinking, okay, here we go, 14, 15 points a game from Jerome. It's like, let's, this guy hasn't played. He's still going to be a freshman. Like there's going to be growing pains for him too. So that'll, you know. Yeah. Look, six, well, it's, six it, foot six, six foot seven. But he is a huge piece because yes. he's like the missing piece on, you know, on next year's roster when you look at it. If Garden you can pencil him in, yeah, I mean. No, I, so I, think, I, I I hope he's I mean, beyond what we want for IU basketball for him just to be able to resume his career. I hope he's back. And, you know, that point that Juwan made about him being competitive. I remember an interview with him from his senior year where he went up against Darius Basley, who is the guy that ended, you know, was committed to Syracuse, ended up skipping college and going right to the G League. And they did an interview with Jerome and he was just like Man, I wanted to go at him one on one. I love those mono on mono battles. I wanted him, and he ended up outplaying him. So I think he's got a little bit of that, just kind of dog. I'm a badass in him. Yeah, which and I think that's this program Ar- needs. And I think that's what Archie wants to recruit. I mean, I I think that that's the kind of guy that Archie wants. And Andy, the other thing that that I was going to say that was that made me more optimistic as we talked to uh, current players is as the team was racking up losses and we were all getting depressed there was a narrative behind the scenes that this team just didn't like each other, that there were lots of clicks on this team. And we all know the crazy rumors that surfaced. Look, these guys could be spinning a tale to us because who are we to talk to and why be honest? But I think we've got some pretty straight shooters on this team. And each one didn't hesitate to say that just wasn't true. They were very convincing with their answers. They they liked each other. And I believe them. I like to think I've got a good BS meter. And that makes me feel good that Archie is creating an environment where we have a team that does like each other because that is important. I mean, that a yeah. team can be derailed if they don't. We got derailed last year for a lot of reasons. Uh, and, and you guys have, have done a great job analyzing all those reasons. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the fact that these guys didn't like each other was one of them. That, that, was not the, that was not an issue. And going forward, I like that Archie's creating an environment where you have guys who genuinely do like each other and want to fight for each other. You know, it, it is possible that when you lose 12 out of 13, they're, you know, like I didn't like Andy and Ryan and we were losing 12 out of 13 <laughs> games. You know what I mean? Like, like any, you know, so it's possible that, that, that maybe they struggled at certain points, but that doesn't mean overall they weren't close. I, like when you guys asked Juwan, He's like, that's the closest team I've been on. It's like, geez, that, that, I mean, that, that really, that, that really kind of blew that narrative out of there. So, and that, that, yeah. but that's why it's good getting that kind of insight because yes. you get message board stuff and you get, you know, insiders telling you stuff and all this. And I'm sure some of it's true, but you know, but when, you, when we, we got to remember, that. like we don't, you don't really know unless you're actually in the locker room. Right. So and at that point with him though, I mean, there's no reason to, there's no reason to, to downplay that i mean you're not there it doesn't really matter like for him there's no, no. there's exactly. no benefit in it for him to to kind of continue to cover up something that was there obviously you wouldn't necessarily go out of your way to say that it was bad but you could kind of 
kind of talk your way around the question or give half answers and just kind of be done to be able to move on to the next thing. Like there's really no, unless that's legitimate, there's really no reason for him to answer the question the way that he did. I think the public discourse around the team was just so toxic. Everybody projected it onto the team. I think you're right. I think that, and I think on Andy, to your point, it's almost the opposite with Juwan. The guy's trying to make it to the NBA and he had a pretty crappy team season in his senior year. If you want to find an excuse, hey, the team just fell apart because we had a bunch of rotten apples. It's not a bad narrative for him. I also loved what he said about Romeo at the end that the narrative of Romeo not wanting to play in the NIT he's like no guys Romeo looked like he said looked like he was in his 60s he couldn't get out of bed and and Romeo wanted to fight for that team and Jawan went to Romeo and said don't do anything that's going to hurt yourself we we're your family we know what you are and what you are to this team don't worry about anybody on the outside I like that I think uh that bodes well for the future I just hope the pessimistic side of me coming out I hope that Archie has enough time to get the team right, to win enough games, to give him enough time to really turn it around. Because this year's going to be tough. Yeah. Uh, then, then you're in year four, and the, the recruiting class in 2020 is going to be tough. I mean, there aren't, right now, I don't think we're leading for any impact players in 2020. You know, everybody says that the key to recruiting these days and, and building a program is your best player on your team for next season better be on your team for this season. Yeah, and he, here's here's what I think, though, is that if we're talking about does Archie need to be a top 10 team and, like, we're on the court, you know, looking like the bluebird we all believe we still are, it's no. But, like, can Archie by year four with these players he already has to, to your point, Eric, and even if he doesn't get um, Christian Lander, you know, but he gets top 100 guys, guys from the States, guys who fit his system and fit each other. If by the end of year four, oh, we're a, a top 25 team that's definitely in the tournament and in the top four or five in the Big Ten, I think, and I really believe he'll get us there. Then yeah. we're looking, maybe it'll take another two, three, four years for it to start to coalesce into like, okay, now we're all the way back. And I think up Samson was going to do it really fast. And Crean, even though he started out with a bare cupboard, he actually got us to number one pretty fast. But as we saw with both of those, those were house of cards that ultimately collapsed faster and slower in two cases. But is Archie building the thing that will last for 20 or 30 years Maybe it takes seven or eight to get back to that final, final place. I mean, look, because I'm okay in year four or five if we're definitely in the tournament and we're going to be next year because of all the guys that are coming back. That will buy me more patience. Yeah, I don't know if in year four and five, if all he's doing is getting to the tournament and not landing the top guys in Indiana – that, he's already doing, he's that, already doing no, that. No, no, no. But you said if he, he, you know, what if he doesn't get Christian Lander? He's got to continue to get the top guys in Indiana. He's yeah. got to get enough of yeah, them. I'm not saying he does worse than what he's already doing, but he got Trace and Romeo. He didn't get Keon. We'll take two out of three five. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and 2020, I hope he gets Galloway and Leal, or at least one of them. Agreed. And but 2021 is the big class. I really do think I've, I've talked to uh, Jeff Rabjohns about this off off our podcast, that 2021 class is special. And with Lander and first and Trey Kaufman, Kaufman. 
and Kaufman may be better than first and more. I've had several people compare him to Jared Jeffries. Yes, he's got the same build. They've got roughly the same type of games, both good athletes, good size. If he that's a that's a big time class in the state. And I think Archie's got to do very well in that class with the continued progression of the on the court product, because I don't think the patience runs beyond season five. I don't. If things aren't really progressing. Yeah, yeah I agree. And that's fair. That's yeah. perfectly yeah. fair. I mean, you should be able to do it in five years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, guys, this was awesome. We're going to need to do this again sometime. Absolutely. You got to come on ours, though. This we got to take we got to take three and a half hours to talk to you guys about your backgrounds <laughs> and not have to worry about times. <laughs> when did you know you wanted to do podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That'd be, no, that'd be great. We'll do it. We'll definitely do it. Thanks so much. Okay. Uh, I, I've said this on Twitter a bunch. Uh, you guys are the gold standard in IU podcasts, and you are a huge reason why we uh, have any, had any success because of how supportive you were to us when you had no reason to be at the beginning. So I really appreciate it. Well, I would. I appreciate you saying that. I would defer gold standard to Galen Clavio and Crimson Cast because they've been around for a long time, and you know people like him were really helpful to us when we got started. Like it was huge for us to, to build an audience that people like him, that you know, Chronic Hoosier would like, you know, came on our show like the second season and would retweet it. You know, and it's only right when you see someone doing great work to share it. I mean, that's our philosophy has always been not necessary. We're not like competing for, you know, like with all the other podcasters, we're just trying to give our audience the best stuff and you guys are doing the best stuff. So we want to share it with them. So I think it all works out better when it's like that. Although we do want some of that seat geek money. I mean, come <laughs> on, we got to get some of that seat geek money, right? Uh, Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Ryan's, so much, Ryan's right. hogging all the seat geek yeah. money. We'd like, to, we'd like to see some of that seat geek money. Absolutely. By the way, <laughs> Andy, I got to give you a shout out too on the bracketology stuff, man. I don't know how you do that. I don't get it. But I love following yourself. You you were my guy during the tournament leading up to it. So uh, great work. Thank man. you. I appreciate. It. I appreciate. It. I like your. Uh, I like your list. You've got it behind you. Oh yeah. I think I've been able to take out. Were you able to read some I of it? I've been able to make out most of them as I was there. Uh huh. It it's my IU bucket list. So it's sixth banner. <laughs> yes. Number two is make Archie laugh. Number three is get on assembly call. So we can cross that one off. Check. Number four is change Ward song. Never I will died. tell you that I listen to podcasts like at <laughs> so funny. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. My love of Indiana. Jared's my guy. Jared's will, my guy. I will tell you that I, I typically love custom listen music. To, I listen to podcasts at like, you know, up above the normal speed. Like I think it's like one and a quarter speed or whatever. That as Jared played it, that's literally the first time that I've ever heard it at its <laughs> at its actual tempo. And I'm like, man, this is a lot slower than what it usually is when I'm listening. So did, I get a more you, like I get a more kind of like jazzy version of it when it uh, you know really more really more caffeinated. I'm glad to get a different experience of the whole thing. Yeah, because what you're saying, Andy, is it sucks. That is not what I said. Oh, okay. All right. I, I, that's what I heard. That's well, maybe I heard. you should try listening to it a little bit faster, and maybe you'll get a different opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I want to make one point about what you guys do uh, because it's it's super obvious in the off season, uh, but it's also the case during the actual season. Eric and I talk about how much being an Indiana basketball fan, we watch Indiana basketball uh, like uh, less than a hundred hours a year, mm-hmm. right? It like it, it like 
just watching the games ends up being much less time than you actually want to spend in that world. So to be able to get in and hear you guys and your guests talking for hours a week, it's just a mind space you want to be. I don't want to think about real life and bills and, <laughs> yeah. and what I got to do when uh, I get out of the car. I just like to be in this safe, happy space. Well, sometimes it's a sad negative space because that's <laughs> where our program's at. But misery loves company and you guys are great company uh, for so much of the year when there isn't a, a game to actually make us crazy. Thank you. That's... I mean, I kind of feel like that's what we all do for each other. You know, that's why it's great having so many options to listen to because you're right. It's nice sometimes to just get away. And even if it's, you know, mid-June analysis of lineups that who knows if it'll ever be relevant. Like it's still <laughs> in the moment when you're listening, it's like, this is really good. This is, you know, this is the most important thing to listen to right now. So I also think one of the most fun things to do now for me in listening to Jared on any of your uh, podcasts is to pick up when you're taking a dig at a certain uh, radio broadcaster without saying his name. I really enjoy that. I enjoy trying to find it. Like when you were talking about Don Fisher the other day, <laughs> that was a good one. That was a subtle one. Yeah. Uh, I like that. I like that. I won't mention the name, but I, Indianapolis is number game. one radio host, Dan Dockich. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know you will yeah. disagree with me. That's Jared. That's it. Whoa. Sorry, Jared, that was a really that was a really interesting time for that to freeze up. <laughs> yeah, it was. My internet connection is unstable. It says so. If I cut out, that's why. No, I think it would be. I mean, in all seriousness, I think it would be good. I mean, he's a good storyteller, knows a lot of background stuff. Like, I think you'd get a lot of good information. Yeah, it'd be fun. I don't. Yeah, we'll see if it happens. We're trying. <laughs> Who, okay, so wait, I missed that. What was the? I was saying, saying try might, to get Dockage on an interview. I would love to have him on our show. Yeah. Uh, I think he'd be a, a fun interview. Well, there's not a chance in hell of him coming on this show. So <laughs> I would much better for it to be on your show. Yeah. Uh, no, I have a good friend who will remain nameless, who has uh, been a part of the Indiana sports broadcasting scene for a very long time. And he like just out of nowhere, I will get texts from him saying, stay away from, stay away from dockage, whatever you do, don't, don't talk to that guy. Just like, I, and I'm like, look, we just want the ears. We just want the ears that he'll bring to the program. We'll see how it goes. You know, I mean, yeah, he drives me crazy like anybody else. And it really bothers me to have that kind of negativity coming from somebody that closely tied to the program. But I mean, for, for a couple hours, we'll see how it goes. Also, is, <laughs> is he the only, uh, I, I can't believe I don't know this off the top of my head, but uh, is he the only person that ever was a player, assistant coach, and head coach for Indiana University? Well, let's see. Branch was a player and a head coach. Yeah, yeah I don't think was he, he ever was an assistant. assistant. I don't I think so. Yeah, he probably was. Yeah. I mean, was look, it? he's got more stories and experience and insight, and you know, I mean, he he knows a lot. That's for sure. So, I mean, if you got him in the right frame of mind, you know, where he put some of his agenda aside and just actually talked for real, right. then I think it'd be fantastic. You know, he, here's what I know. He's the only player, assistant coach, director of basketball operations and head coach in Indiana <laughs> University. <laughs> yes, that we can say with certainty. Yeah. I, so who's at the uh, who's at the top of your kind of former player wish list at this point of guys you'd really want to get on? Well, because we said we, we said Cody would be on the Mount Rushmore of of like who we would currently want to get. So yeah. if we're looking for like three others, obviously Vic 
if you want to talk about the combination of like a great Indiana player and what kind of significance he would have to an audience, um, Vic is there. Um, I think the, the, the window has closed on coach Knight, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I really want Steve Alford and I really want Isaiah Thomas and oh, I really man. want, uh, Scott may and Quinn Buckner from 76. Those, those, yeah. Getting those, those guys stories would be incredible. Yeah, I mean, we talked to Kent Benson. I really enjoyed that. Laskowski was awesome, but I really want Quinn and Scott from that team. I really want Alfred from 87, and I really want Isaiah from 81. I mean, I, those guys cut down the nets and were the reason we cut down the nets. So, yeah. Uh, now, me, that's, now, I did just. Keith Smart would be great, too. Yeah. Absolutely. I just read something about Keith Smart. I think he's an assistant with the Knicks now. And, you know, he was out at Golden State for a long time, and he's just had a pretty incredible. Uh, life after that uh, shot. So yeah. I think th- there's a guy who, and did he come back and talk to the team last year or something too? Like he's I think so. still has a lot of love for yeah. the program. Also, also Alan Henderson and Damon Bailey. Yes. Oh, I mean, yes. those. Yeah, that would be good. Uh, here's a question for you. Jay Edwards would be another good one. He's got some stories to we're, tell. We're Sharon Wilkerson would also be good. That's a good point on Sharon. Mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't thought about Sharon, but Jay, we've tr- we're trying on. I really would love to talk to Jay. I'd also. We haven't done it yet, and Ward and I have not spent a lot of time talking about this. At some point, I wouldn't mind talking to a rival. Yeah, I think it would be fun to talk to a guy that we really hated, Gene Cady. Uh, yeah, one of the Gene nicest Katie. guys that you could ever meet. Yeah, I, I've thought about it. I, I well, what don't. About, what about Jimmy Jackson? Oh, He'd we be good if you could get him. Yeah, Jared, they, Jared walked up to him before as we were going into the <laughs> Michigan State game. We we happened to get over there <laughs> as like Jimmy Jackson was getting ready to go into the into the game to do the broadcast. And I forget what you say to him. You're like, I just want you to know I, that I hated you I, when I, I was growing it. up. <laughs> oh, Jared. Like, I, so- I was like, I mean it as respectfully as possible, but I hated you. <laughs> it's Jared. Well, it was nice. We had a nice couple like minute interaction with him. It was it was good, but it was. Yeah, it was he, like- he looked at me like I might be a stalker, like right at the beginning. And then he was OK. Yeah. after that. I yeah, swear to, to check God. and see if he could see the outline of a gun in your waistband. <laughs> or I swear to God, this is the absolute truth. I met Jimmy Jackson in Los Angeles about year and a half, two years ago, we were in the same room at this thing. And I went up to him and I said, my name's Eric Pankowski. I just want you to know, I hate you. <laughs> he must get that so much from. Yeah. Other and he looked at me and he goes, you went to Indiana, didn't you? <laughs> and we had, yep. we had a great, we had a great conversation about, uh, about college basketball. I, I will tell you what he told me at the time. He really praised it was maybe more than two years ago, three years ago, he praised Coach Crean's player development. Yeah. He really, he talked about that. He praised his player development. Well, uh, and and, and yeah. look at those guys out in the league now. And I think that's something Archie is really going to benefit from is like, oh yeah, did you see OG? Yeah, it was too bad his appendix burst, but you know, yeah. that's an IU guy uh, playing in the finals along with, you know, how many other guys are populated now compared to even in night's time, you know, and maybe it was less important then, but for when these guys are coming in the door and soon Archie's going to have Romeo in the league and hopefully he will get a few of his own guys in there, which will be even more impactful. But for right now, just to say we got some Hoosiers on these rosters around the league, I think that's that's something we are still in Coach Crean's debt for. Yeah. 
Man, now I'm I'm just there's so many there's a bunch of other ideas here in the chat for people that you guys should interview. Landon Turner obviously would be incredible. That would be great. Uh, Brian Cardinal, Bracy Wright, Rex Chapman, Robbie Hummel, Mike Woodson, Jalen Rose, all names that were thrown out. There's only a couple there that I wouldn't want to do. I would love to do Jalen. I I think he'd be a fun interview. Jalen's a real I mean, as far as somebody I I look up to as a podcaster. Jalen and Jacoby is like I, I could watch that all day. I yeah. could watch because of because of he's like obviously he has a very informed opinion, but it's also a very unique one. He also yeah. he's just always coming at things from a different angle. That's that's quite quite intelligent, and it helps me change change the way I look at the game or a player. Jared and Andy, if you could pick one player that you would love to hear us interview, or or. Anybody associated with Indiana, who would it be? That you haven't done already, because Calvert was the obvious choice. Part two's coming, don't worry. That's right. Good. I would go with Larry Richardson. Uh, (laughs) Scary Larry. Uh, Larry. Jeff Newton is the guy that I would love to hear you interview. Um, Because his time at Indiana was so great, and then his career... I mean, he became like the greatest player ever in Japan. And it would be so interesting. Yeah, it would be so interesting to hear what that was like. So he would be great. And he, I mean, I he and AJ it. are still close, aren't they? All of them. Jared, yeah. AJ, and uh, and George Leach, and all those guys are very close. That That's another thing that you do realize when you talk to these guys. There's a reason those teams were great. Yeah. There's a reason those teams had success. And that's why I get so excited about guys who genuinely like each other. Because yeah. we've also talked to some guys, and we talked to Colin Hartman, who talked about a couple of his teams where he said the leadership was just bad. Those mm-hmm. guys aren't on text chains. And that was just a few years ago. And, but- and he said he was still salty about Coach Cream. You know, Colin's yeah. kind of been the one guy that's come on and, and he spanned both eras. So I thought that yeah. was really interesting. But that he was the first one that kind of not mince words about that era. Because I, I think to a certain degree, like they're still like, oh, should we have? Should we have given Crean more time? I mean, if OG hadn't gotten hurt, maybe, maybe, maybe. Just I don't yeah. believe that. But we all have those dark moments when we're alone, especially when we're trudging through scoring fifty points against Nebraska at home. That's when you really have those moments. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe an all offense team wasn't so bad. <laughs> yeah, but you just come back to you're so right. I, but you just come back to he lost the state. Period. Yeah. The state hated him. It was not going to get better. No, and I couldn't stand watching him pull up those pants anymore. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't take it. It was. I was over it. It was over. Couldn't do that. I couldn't do a fake tan in December in Bloomington. I, I can't do that for our head coach. I was going to say that it would be interesting for you guys to interview him, maybe with more more time elapsed, but... It's still, it's somewhat difficult still hearing, listening. You know, it's interesting when he's not talking at a press conference, actually, and he's just analyzing basketball, he's great. I just fear talking about it, not that he would do an interview about Indiana, but it would go back into all the defensive stuff and not really take accountability for anything. So it probably wouldn't be that interesting now. Maybe when he's done. Maybe, but but, I mean, that guy, that guy is an insecure guy who reads every negative comment about himself i just don't think it would be that satisfying i will tell I you a guy so that i i really want to interview mike davis yes i would he's love, an amazing guy yes, that was one great I guy i would love i mean that guy got put through the ringer and didn't deserve any of it and and by the way 
I was, I'm sure I said horrible things about him at the time too, but he never even contemplated being the head coach of Indiana University. Yeah, but see this, I'm not sure he's as innocent in all that as the the more common narrative would have. Like from, and was this not somebody we talked to together? I'm trying to pull it up, but somewhere in the last couple months, somebody's like, no, Davis wanted the job. He was positioning himself for the job. He was not the assistant coach who stepped back and said, you take the job. Like, he wanted well, I mean, he had an opportunity to get it. I wouldn't begrudge him that. No, but, yeah. but Ward, my point is he did not come to Indiana and accept an assistant coach job at Indiana University with the thought in his mind that I just got to wait out my time till Bobby Knight leaves and I'm going to be the head coach. That was you never don't know that you thought. don't know. You no, don't I do. know that. And I doubt it. I doubt it because when Bobby wrong. was you're wrong. But when he came there, there there was no, like, you couldn't even see the end of the Bob Knight tenure, like, on the horizon, though. No, So I struggle to think that he would be thinking that, though. No, it was that. And and by the way, you've listened to Mike Davis talk about it. And he talks about he took the job at Indiana because it was a great assistant coach job that he hoped would be a springboard to getting a head coaching job at a place like Texas Southern, where he ended up. Landing at at the end before coming back to Detroit. The weirdest coaching career oh, of anybody. He talked about, and that's why I love him. I I I think it'd be really interesting because he talked about his coaching career went backwards by accident. He went to Indiana as an assistant coach to get the experience to to springboard him into a low level Division One head coaching job, and then circumstances threw him into the biggest job let's just say one of the one of the top five biggest jobs in the country. And then he slid backwards because he wasn't ready. And then he kind of hit bottom at Texas Southern, figured things out a little bit, and now got to step up at Detroit. That kind of perspective would be really fascinating to kind of explore with him. You know who else you know who else would be a great interview is Marco Killingsworth. I've heard some interviews oh. with him and he is really candid. So to actually go yeah, a couple hours with Marco Killingsworth, that'd be pretty good. I forget what it was. There was a yeah. There was another. Podcast. I think it was a, a was it a Dockage conversation with him? Uh, no, no, maybe it wasn't something that. else. I don't know if it was what like was Query and Schultz. Maybe yes, well, that's I, what it was. Query and Schultz. They used to did did like a series where they had one with him. Yeah. It was crazy. All right, I gotta I gotta run. Yeah, well, we, we'd cool. ask him why he lost the dunk competition. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, thanks guys for joining us. Great talking to you. Yep. Thank you. Thanks and, uh, a lot, guys. Keep up, yeah. keep up the good work. I got the Laskowski one queued up for uh, my work day tomorrow. So, Oh, nice. Very good. Let <laughs> us know how you like it. All right. We'll do. Thanks, guys. Cool. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye. Take care. Good Bye, to Jared. meet Thanks you. Hopefully, you we get to meet in person one of these days. Yeah, for we sure. should try to fi- uh, coordinate a Bloomington trip. That would be fun. Yeah, we do one every year. So we'll, well let's talk about it because we're going to do an event in Bloomington with a live podcast. We're uh, going to try and do the same thing. So we, oh, we try and let's do it talk. together. Let's yeah. talk. Okay. That'd be awesome. Take care. All right. See you guys. See you, everybody. See you next week. Okay. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. 
They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.